Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You don't just live in your home. You live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. iHeartRadio presents Inside the Studio. I'm your host, Joe Levy. This time out, I got to catch up with Robert DeLeo and Eric Kretz, the bassist and drummer from Stone Temple Pilots. We talked about their latest album, Perdita, a mostly acoustic collection that's both a continuation of their music and something of a departure. And we also talked about the painful loss of two of their lead singers, Scott Weiland and Chester Bennington, and how the band found a way forward we got into the connection between the Stone Temple Pilots and the Carpenters, which I guess wasn't a complete surprise for me, but went way, way deeper than I would have imagined. I spoke with Robert and Eric on a rainy Tuesday in early March. It was rainy in New York, not in LA where they were, but it's definitely a day I remember clearly because for one thing, it's the last time I was on the subway in New York. By the next day, like a lot of you, I had started working from home where I'm recording this introduction. These are strange times, and as just about every other email you get tends to put it, I hope this finds you well. It's a time when everything seems to be up in the air, and that goes double if you're a touring musician. When I spoke with Robert and Eric, they were just about to start a tour of Australia, alongside some other 90s rock radio heroes, Bush, and Live. But things were just beginning to shut down at that point, and so those tour dates had to be rescheduled for next year. 
While Stone Temple pilots hope that their plans to tour the U.S. this summer are going to hold, it's hard to say what the future will bring. Most musicians make their living on the road, so most musicians are in a really difficult spot right now. I'm sure a lot of you guys are too, and this is a time when we really need to take care of each other, which means being careful, staying healthy, washing your hands like your soap has the winning ticket of a scratch-off lottery hidden inside it. But it also means that if you're a music fan and you can swing it, maybe think about supporting the music you love however you can. Me, personally, my band t-shirt supply has been growing very steadily. Okay, so that's my public service announcement. Let's get back to Stone Temple Pilots. And when they first emerged in 1992 and songs like Plush and Creep began to dominate the radio, the band was dismissed as grunge copycats by the sort of rock purists who also initially dismissed Pearl Jam as a major label Nirvana clone. I mean, in 1991, I knew a guy who was absolutely obsessed with proving that Pearl Jam had been assembled, boy band style, by its label. And he was going to get to the bottom of the whole thing, which, of course, was not true. But here's the funny part. I I was never really on the pro-Nirvana, anti-Pearl Jam bandwagon. But you know who was? Robert DeLeo from Stone Temple Pilots, who once told Rolling Stone that until he saw Pearl Jam play on Lollapalooza in 1992, he thought of them as fakes. Look, if you didn't live through the grunge war, it must seem really confusing now. But the the basic point is that nothing was real enough. And Pearl Jam wasn't real enough because they hadn't started on an indie label. Nirvana, even Nirvana wasn't real enough because they hadn't stayed on an indie label. And it didn't matter that some of these bands loved the same sort of music or had started from the same sort of place. I mean, Robert DeLeo and Scott Weiland met in Los Angeles in 1985 after a gig by punk rock pioneers Black Flag. But back in the grunge wars, nothing passed the authenticity test. Side note here. When Robert wrote Plush in 1989 and he first played it for Weiland, Wyland dismissed it as sounding too much like Boston. A side note to the side note is that Kurt Cobain used to say that Smells Like Teen Spirit was him trying to sound like Boston. So you see what I mean about some of this stuff starting from the same place. place that the arguments about authenticity never held any sway was on the radio. Radio was super hungry for heavy guitar and singers who knew how to howl right after Smells Like Teen Spirit broke in 1991. And radio didn't care if the music was coming from Seattle or the UK in the case of Bush or Los Angeles, where Stone Temple Pilots came together in the late 80s when Robert's older brother Dean came up from San Diego to play some guitar with Wyland, Robert, and Eric. 
After STP broke through on the radio, some doubters did have their minds changed the same way Robert did about Pearl Jam, which would be seeing the band live, where Wyland proved himself as one of the most kinetic performers out there. Uh, the band's debut core went eight times platinum, their second album, Purple, went six times platinum, and Stone Temple Pilots became one of the biggest bands of the 90s. But Wyland also became one of the most troubled stars of the 90s. He was in and out of rehab over and over again as he battled the addiction that would eventually take his life in 2015. And sadly, that turned out to be the first of two tragic losses for the band. After Wyland and STP had recorded six albums together and finally parted ways in 2013, Stone Temple Pilots started playing some shows and recording with Chester Bennington from Lincoln Park. And they continued to tour together until 2015, when Chester left to focus more on Lincoln Park. And then, sadly, a couple of years later in 2017, Chester took his own life. Perdita, the title of the latest Stone Temple Pilots album, translates from Spanish as the word loss. Its sound is quiet and it's introspective. And uh, songs are really about romantic struggle and loneliness, but Robert told me that the album does also reflect the losses of Wyland and Chester. You're definitely in there. Those two, you know, we're, we're very fortunate to have uh, shared moments personal and musical moments with both of them, you know, with Scott and Chester. Perdita is Stone Temple Pilots' second album with Jeff Gutt, who became the band's singer after STP launched online auditions for a new vocalist when Chester Bennington had left the band. Robert told me they probably went through 15,000 submissions, but the weird thing is that Jeff Gutt wasn't one of them. He had been a competitor on The X Factor in 2013. He comes from Michigan, and when Robert was playing a gig in Michigan one time with the L.A. band The Hollywood Vampires, after the show, someone backstage told him he really needs to check this guy out, so he did. And that's how the Stone Temple Pilots ended up with a singer who'd grown up on their music when he was a teenager. Robert and Eric told me about how Jeff impressed them right off the bat. We talked about them recording in Eric's studio and about the ups and downs of life on the road. Here's what else they had to say. Robert. Joe, how are you, man? And Eric, welcome to Inside the Studio. Thank you, Joe. So Perdita is a little bit of a change of pace or at least a change of volume. Uh, it's acoustic, and certainly that's always been part of your sound. I think of Pretty Penny from Purple, maybe Sour Girl from Number 4, but but this time it's the whole album. So how did it happen, and, and why did it happen? Joe, before we start, I just have to uh, say that I would really like to sleep on a pillow of your voice. <laughs> you got a great voice, man. It's very soothing. Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to help in any way I can, fellas. <laughs> Although I also worry that you may have just told listeners that my voice will put them to sleep. Now, you need to do some uh, some therapy audiobooks. That would 
It would work. Your voice. I am open to all offers. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question now? So now we were talking about the, the new record, Perdita. And, yes. And it's, it's an all-acoustic album. And of course, acoustic has always been part of the flavor for you. But yes. how did it become a whole album and, and why? Well, I think when you um, write a song, it, for me, it, it, it starts out acoustically most of the time. It's, it's grab an acoustic, and when you have a great one, it becomes your couch guitar, and you sit there, and it kind of is your therapist and girlfriend and whatever it may be. And it, it, you have a choice at that time to musically bring the song into another area. Um, with these songs, it just seemed like it was natural to kind of keep them in that, that acoustic format and that acoustic place. And I think when we started accumulating more of these songs, it just felt naturally to sonically keep him, keep them there, you know? So that's, that's really what it was. It wasn't, um, a conscious effort, really. It was just kind of, this is how these songs were feeling. And, um, like I said, when we, when we got more and more of them together, um, plus the sentiment of the songs, I think it was just, uh, we felt that it was, uh, that's where they should they should lay. They should be there in that place. And this is an introspective album, maybe a little darker when you're talking about the sentiments of the songs. Perdita literally translates from Spanish to loss, I believe. Yes. Um, and, and, and so how did those particular songs, which came first, the sound of the songs or the ideas of the songs? Well, a lot of these songs for me came um, when we were on tour in the wintertime in, in Canada. And... Uh, you know, winter in Canada can be uh, tough, and um, we were playing a lot of uh, really cold, windowless, concrete uh, ice hockey arenas. And when you're sitting in an ice hockey arena in that kind of environment, um, you know, you better have something to do because it can get a little damaging when you're sitting there thinking about things. And, and the, the what you have to do as a band really changes from the point when you're in your 20s to when you're older, in your 50s, right? I mean, yes. Or what it's healthy to do, let's put it that way. Yes. Um, so I think the best thing at that moment being a musician is picking up an instrument and uh, kind of getting out what you need to get out. Um, there were a lot of songs that came to me during that time um, of sitting there and uh, having everyone around, you know, I'd have an idea and kind of send it to everyone and get Jeff Goot, the singer, uh, involved and um, sit down with him and start going through some music and, and melodies that I had and um, just piecing it together. It was actually really great watching, uh, especially on like the title track, Perdita, when Robert was pulling out that one. Putting it together, he'd be whistling some of the lines, saying, you know, this would be, sound great as a violin, and then having the chords around it and all the counter melodies. It was really, uh, really natural and exciting, and, and since we were doing it every day in the dressing room, you could kind of really start to hear how great the vibe was going to be for this album. I know the changes of the ones you see. Smile, I'm slowly dying. Oh, 
about the arrangements, even as you're just sitting around, you're you're in the back of these hockey rinks in Canada. It's Winnipeg. It's cold. It, no, it was really cold. I know. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, I always think about arrangements. I think arrangement is something that's kind of lost these days. You know, I hearken back to the days of, you know, uh, Mancini and um, Burt Bacharach and mm-hmm. the people that really knew how to arrange music. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, I'm sure they had, um, ideas in mind when they started writing their music, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, arrangement is, is, uh, still important. It's, uh, it's still something that I value in, in, in music. You know, of all the references I, I was prepared for you to pull out, I don't think Henry Mancini or Burt Bacharach were the ones that, that you were going to come with. Um, <laughs> But that's really interesting because this is a different kind of record. It it throws back maybe to a 70s moment, but those those guys aren't 70s rockers. <laughs> yeah, but part of, uh, luckily, we grew up in such a great period in music in the 70s. So we were just like sponges picking up Mancini, Backrack. I mean, the list goes on and on of what you heard from AM radio to what great album tracks and stuff that was on TV, stuff that was available. It was, uh, it really kind of seeped into our DNA. Yeah, I think anyone that gets into music uh, through the 60s and 70s, there's a moment there where you're going to relate to something that you hear. I think one of my first relations was listening, you know, being curious enough at like five or six to listen to the records that were around. I had older parents, uh, which are both gone now. Uh, There were Ella Fitzgerald, you know, 48s hanging around and, there were, uh, you know, I mentioned Mancini. I think one of the most comforting things for me still is to hear Andy Williams sing uh, Moon River. I mean, it's, it's a beautiful song, um, and it's, it's one of those songs that it comforts me and reminds me of uh, my childhood and putting on those records for the first time. First time I heard Brian Wilson's falsetto, I mean, it, I was hooked. Mm. I was hooked from those 45s. My first concert was The Carpenters, and many people contributed to the Carpenters' music, Bacharach included, Paul Williams, you know, great, great writers of the time. Um, And their music, uh, for me, it holds true still, you know. Let's linger on this for just a second. Your first concert was the 70s. You grew up in New Jersey. I did. It was at the Garden State Arts Center in 1971. I was five years old. Wow. So obviously you're five, uh, your parents are taking you to the show, I assume. W- w- were you there because they wanted to go, or were you asking to go see the Carpenters at five? Or No, I, I went along, and uh, in that going along, I completely digested and got what was going on. It was the Carpenters with an orchestra, and, you know, it was a, it was a moment where, uh, like I said, I just, it, it clicked, you know, it clicked in. Let's move forward a little bit when did you start making your own musical decisions when did you pick up a guitar well uh dean is five years older than me Mm. so he was the one that kind of got his first guitar i remember the guitar it was a uh a very cheap uh maybe twenty dollar united guitar uh it was the brand and uh i think he learned uh he was learning um when he was about uh, i would say about 10 11 he was learning, I think the first song he learned was Roger Miller. It was uh, King of the Road. Um, so I got kind of fascinated with what he was doing. Obviously, you know, as a younger brother, you look at your older brother and go, that looks cool. I want to try that. Mm-hmm. 
But the only thing was, he wasn't too cool with me trying his guitar. <laughs> so I, I had to sneak uh, my, my, my guitar uh, passion in when he was gone. I would, you know, kind of hear him coming in the door and have to put the guitar under the bed again. But That's so funny because my, bro <laughs> my brother was three years older and I would have to listen to his records the same way. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you know, hell to pay. Don't him. listen to my yes. records. <laughs> Punk. <laughs> right, right. Hands off dark side of the moon. But. Hands off dark side of the moon. I kind of heightened my passion that I wasn't allowed to do that. It almost has that forbidden feeling. You have to sneak in the in that sense that you know, nobody's telling you it's the devil's music, but it's still a little bit forbidden, right? Yes. So there was a lot of um, just kind of being a good listener back then, listening to as many things as I could get my hands on and through the generations I'm the youngest in the family. Mondine's mom had married four times, so I had a lot of half and step brothers. And I would kind of go around this. We had an Engli old English tutor house, and I would go into, you know, Dean's room, and he'd be listening to Houses of the Holy. And I'd go up into my one sister's room, and she was listening to Tea for the Tillerman, you know, Cat Stevens. And then I'd go into my other half brother's room, and he'd be listening to Crosby Sills Nash and Young. And I'd go down to my mom's room and she'd be listening to uh, John Denver or, you know, it was all these, all these things that were kind of melding together for me, sonically. But we have come to reference points that actually do bring us back to this record. When you mentioned Houses of the Holy, Tea for the Tiller Man, like now we're in the realm of 70s music that comes together to form some of the blend of acoustic and psychedelic that I think you guys have gotten on this I think that's always been there. I think it was just uh, more concentrated this time. Mm. I think once we started kind of getting the songs together, it was kind of a focus of keeping them in that, like I said, in that intimate space. And uh, it fit the, uh, you know, the feeling of the song and the feeling of the lyric. So it's really about, you know, what makes the singer, you know, it's always been that for me. It is writing a song that the singer can really relate to. And really, you're really trying to make uh, the, the lyric and the vocal, the, the, the most prominent, beautiful thing it can be. I think Jeff did it, you know, really achieve that on this record. Yeah, I think he, what he achieved was wonderful. And going back to that, what was nice is as we started hearing more songs being written by Robert and Dean for this record, it was nice knowing that the whole record was going to be in that acoustic, slide electric kind of vibe. Whereas when you were mentioning before, songs like Sour Girl... And Pretty Penny, you know, there used to be one song on an album. We'd kind of jump into this, this type of vibe. So it really was comforting going into doing a whole record with, with all those avenues being open. It's interesting you call it comforting because I, I was wondering when the music is quieter, does it feel like more of a risk? Is there a sense of being more exposed either emotionally or musically? You can't hide behind the volume. No, I think it's mostly the sentiment of the vocal that really is... Uh pulling your pants down, so to speak. I think uh, 
On one point, it's songs about a lot of relationships, relationships that have failed, relationships that are missed. And it's an age-old anecdote or story, isn't it? But I think it's, uh, it keeps on getting told differently. And, um, you know, I think there's songs that um, people can relate to in that because it's such a common bond with us as humans. So, And we said the title track is, is uh, Spanish for loss. You, you mentioned the age-old story. One way of telling that story might be boy meets girl, boy loses girl. A lot of these songs seem to revolve around that. But at the same time, choosing that as the album title, the dark mood of the songs, you must have known people would associate it with the, the losses you've endured as a band. You know, uh, Scott Weiland's death, Chester Bennington's suicide. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I think they're, they're in there. They're in there, but it was more of an, uh, 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 an immediate uh, personal... Uh, not that it hasn't been personal. It's been very personal with uh, the loss of mm-hmm. two singers. Um, but it's that day to day thing in life of uh, failing and losing. And but yeah, they're definitely in there. Those two, you know, we're we're very fortunate to have uh, shared moments, personal and musical moments, with both of them. You know, with Scott and Chester, obviously, and, and yet also a sense of loss with both of those performers quite staggering how difficult was it was there ever a moment when you stopped and said do we go on of course you know especially when the when you first hear the heartbreaking news grief is always going to have just such a number of emotions attached to it and you know we've been through a lot of them, oh, especially over the last 30 years we've been together. <laughs> I mean, we're closer with each other than we are kind of with our own families, you know, from growing up. Spent more time together, that's for sure. And uh, like Robert said, we've had some really, we've been lucky enough to have some really great moments with Chester and Scott that were musically friends, you know, and comrades and everything involved. It was really, a, it's really been a great journey. Yeah, Scott had a great understanding of uh, where we come from musically. He grew up with uh, different things. He was a little younger, but, uh, you know, when he really wanted to sing, like really sing, he he was in chorus when he was younger. He would uh, really uh, have this great kind of male Karen Carpenter thing about him. Yeah, he loved the Carpenters. Yeah. Loved it. He would do that really well. It's kind of uh, amazing how, even speaking of Karen Carpenter, how... <laughs> Scott could mimic that soulful tone in her voice. I mean, uh, and that's one thing a lot of singers have a hard time trying to emulate naturally, is they might be able to hit the notes or the inflections, but he really could get in there and get the, the feel of what some of those great hits that she had together. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So the decision to keep going, um, just tell me a little about that and, and about connecting with Jeff. Well, we went through a, quite a process to um, get to this point. And I think what Eric was saying before, we've gone through a lot of processes to get to points, not all positive, constructive points, but um, we kind of looked at this as a chance to uh, continue writing what we, doing what we do, do the best is, is, is writing um, and finding someone who we could share that with and they could, uh, you know, be your sonic mouthpiece, be your creative mouthpiece. And Jeff, uh, he gets it. He gets where we're coming from. I think this, I think presenting him uh, with these songs on this record, for me, it was, it was, uh, it was a true test to see where he would be at with, with these kind of songs thrown at him. You know, you either get it or you don't. You know, there's a lot of jazz influence in there, and um, not everyone has that ear for that. But yeah, he handled it well. He handled yeah. it great. Just yeah. everything that gets thrown at him, speaking about Jeff, every, everything that gets thrown at him, he has something for it. He doesn't sit there and say, oh, I'll come back tomorrow and let me digest these chords. He doesn't shy away from that. He'll just jump right in. And it's usually in the 90 percentile of what his main ideas are end up going forward with the rest of the song. 
It's really great. I asked you a little bit about first connecting with him. You took a somewhat unusual route to that because you held open auditions at, at, at one point before you guys had connected with him, right? We, we did. We, uh, the three of us, Dean and Eric, and I went through uh, probably 15,000 submissions and we kind of gave everyone worldwide a chance to, um, you know, have their have their place in the sun for for a minute. And of course, in Jeff's situation, he didn't send uh, a recording. It was just that strikes me as the funniest thing about this because it was it was more of the natural connection, the way that guys connect in bands, right? Yeah, we just gave it a try, and um, you know, it's uh, it it um, it was interesting to see what people had to offer. There's a good reel there of. <laughs> Outtakes. All right, not naming names, but what was the craziest thing you heard in in those many submissions? It wasn't anything crazy. It was just very amateur. It was amateur, you know. And and I don't think people realize what it takes. You know, I think I think that whole well, well my mom said I'm great. I, I mean, think- you see a lot of this just in YouTube in general, where people aren't that funny and they're trying to be funny, or they're not that talented, but they are told. All right, get off my YouTube channel, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know hey everyone everyone tried and i'd say 99 percent of them believed it so there was nothing completely out of left field like i'm a grandma but i love your music and uh here's my shot one, no. of, my, one of my favorite was uh one guy sent in a, a version of plush but he just played it on piano i thought it was great because he obviously wasn't trying to be a singer but he just threw it in there and it was really yeah. a nice break to hear amongst the thousands of singers in a row to, yeah. to, to go through. I think the thing was, is on video, people were very confident, but the ones we chose to come and actually perform with us when they got there, they were a wreck. When they really got physically on stage with the band, I think it was turned into a different thing. And that's my point is like, kind of put your big boy pants on, you know? Whereas Jeff, having been on X Factor, had already been through that process. So maybe he can walk into that moment having faced those fears already not only that he 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 grew up in detroit and detroit is not a very forgiving town so he was playing around there and uh really knowing what uh what failure was about and what uh you know not being able to uh move on with music and doubting and all these things that go along with deciding to be a musician you know um you're saying he'd already ducked his share of Beer cans in Hamtramck. Yes. That's yeah, a deep Detroit reference, by the way. Jeff's, yes. Jeff's got nerves of steel, man. I actually, thinking about it, I've never seen him get nervous. No, I He don't. just kind of looks at you like, all right, yeah. you're ready to go. Mm. You know, it, it. someone said something to me one time when they criticized him after seeing us, and he said, you know, that guy's got big balls. And I said, you know, um, yeah, that's what you have to have. You have to have big balls to go out there and do that. To be a rock singer, yes, that, that's that's kind of job qualification number two or three <laughs> yeah maybe two and three yeah so he proved that and i think um you know with this record he proved another thing to us that he can um share and express the sentiments of of these songs you know so you produced this album yourselves working in eric's studio a bomb shelter studios and you've recorded there before tell me about this spot how did how did it get that name uh originally i had a, a spot in downtown los angeles it was a wonderful 6,000 square foot facility. And then just over the years, uh, I just wanted to bring it, bring it home because it was starting to get to be a pain to go through traffic to get there. So having all the equipment in the home studio, 
really helped because uh, it's a lot of vintage gear that uh, I've collected since the 90s. And uh, Robert has a really fantastic studio as well, the same type of vintage gear. So between the two of us, we have everything you need for a world-class studio. And uh, it's a lot easier recording and making our own schedule in, in our own houses than it is necessarily uh, driving collectively <laughs> somewhere else and uh, being on the clock, so to say. We've done our last four records, actually, at uh, my place and Eric's. So it's, it's been very, very convenient, very nice. It's nice when everyone has to go to you. You can stay home and everyone has to come to you. <laughs> That's a nice feeling. And you did your first five albums with Brendan O'Brien. So what's the difference between working with a, a great set of outside ears and, and working, uh, producing your, yourselves? Well, I think a lot of that is, is being a good listener and, and watching what Brendan, you know, I feel, I feel very, very fortunate to have made records with Brendan O'Brien. Brendan was a great teacher. He was uh, one of simplicity. I think the whole thing there was, you know, it, it takes an idiot to complicate and a genius to simplify. And I think Brendan was genius at simplifying. Can you give me an example of that? How, how did that work? Well, you know, you'd go out there and you'd go, what, what mic should we use? And he goes, uh, just use the closest one. And just, yeah, that's great where it's at. And there was bleed and there was talk and there was things in the recording when you go back and listen to them. And it was recorded kind of like it used to be recorded back in the 60s. It, it, you know, there's bleed and, and, you know, Phil Spector stuff and all that, all that kind of charm that goes along with the music. So the spontaneous over the perfect. Yes. Spontaneity was a big part of Lessons from Brendan. It was playing live. It was in some cases with Purple and, and a couple of other records where there was literally a, a PA set up in the tracking room. So you're, you're hearing bleed from the PA. And, you know, that was once a, a part of a charm of a recording, you know, back, back in the day. And, uh, you know, we've always big, been big fans of uh, a vintage stuff and and old recordings and i think brendan was there too he shared that sentiment with us and um uh, after we made these records with brendan we we've we've been making uh these records with um a gentleman by the name of ryan williams and mm. ryan actually uh started working with us as brendan's uh assistant engineer on our third record tiny music so we've worked with ryan williams since uh he learned from brendan so it's like we get the best of both worlds. We get the what we what we learn from Brendan and what he learned and we put that together and I think sometimes being your own producer is it's challenging. You have to leave ego out when you're criticizing yours and other people's art and uh you know I think we've got a good way of doing that and moved on like that. Thank you for
said bomb shelters started as a 6,000 square foot space. Were you recording other bands there? Was it originally like, hey, I'm opening a studio? Yeah, it was right around uh, 2000 that I found, you know, found some commercial property in downtown Los Angeles. And then uh, we had, back then, a lot of bands coming through every every couple weeks. And then luckily the um, the Henry Rollins show came in and wanted to do the the music portion through the studio. So that was a lot of fun having two bands a day coming through. And one of my favorite memories of that was I had Slayer come in in the morning. They came in around noon, played four songs. And then Amy Mann came in later that day with an acoustic guitar. And it was <laughs> the contrast was really wonderful. That is the very definition of yin and yang. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was nice. It was just kind of what the space was built for, just a multi-purpose, everything, everything goes kind of place. And, uh, and it just worked out to be a really great creative space for a lot of years. And did you guys get to record there before you, as it were, brought it all back home? Yeah, we did our uh, self-titled record there. Um, 2010. 2010, Your yeah. first self-titled record. <laughs> yes. You've used that title twice. Yeah, we ran out of titles. <laughs> <laughs> well, l- let's talk about the second self-titled record, which is also your first record with Jeff. What was that like? You said he could handle anything you were throwing at him. So how did that album come together and, and what did it feel like? We started writing some songs, um, getting into ideas with Chester before uh, hmm. he, he left the band. Um, and, uh, you know, we had that spark of kind of wanting to make a record. Um, so when, when Jeff came in, we actually, did we, we did that at my place. Yeah, yeah we had a... Probably four songs already recorded. Yeah, yeah, maybe more. Yeah, we we uh, we had Jeff come in for the first day. The first day he came in, he he just started singing, just started singing over stuff, and it was it was appealing. It was working. Um, so that's where that kind of started from. And we just were like, all right, let's let's make a record. Let's keep going. Let's uh, <laughs> keep writing more and more. So then we after he's did an, the initial one or two auditions then he started singing on some of the studio stuff we had recorded then uh we started just writing with them and that just continued to go on very smoothly and so these these four songs that you had in the can already they became the the first songs you recorded for that record yeah luckily for us for that situation even even with Scott back in the day in 93 94 we we'd be able to record a whole song without any vocals I mean, we're talking uh, Silver Gun Superman's one off the uh, Purple album. There was no vocals on that. And it even had the guitar solo. It had (laughs) nine out of ten of the overdubs. And then Scott would just come in, okay, I got a melody, and then go back and write the lyrics and just throw them down. So so we're not shy to be able to put a song together and record it knowing how to arrange it and everything. Uh, When a vocalist can grab a hold of it, here's all the parts for you. And that's kind of what Jeff got presented with, and he just nailed it. And I'm not sure everybody understands this, but, you know, when you're writing that song, you don't always have the melody in mind. This is one of the things a great vocalist does, is understand where that song is going enough in his own head to put that melody on top. That That's often the part that, as a listener, we identify with first. Yeah. Yeah, it's great how that works. I mean, a lot of times it can just, like, uh, a, a lot of the songs from this new album, Perdita, Robert would have melodies already, just be whistling them and uh, playing on acoustic guitar so you kind of knew where the song was going. Whereas 
taking songs like Silver and Superman, like I said in the past, we just present it as a band and kind of hone it in and go, okay, I hope he comes up with something great for it. And sure enough, it would be outstanding, you know, the final product. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Just before Perdita was released in February, you had a theater tour scheduled you had to cancel. Jeff had a, a herniated disc. What happened? How's he feeling now? He's feeling good. He, uh, his back is feeling great. It's just uh, scarred tissue and a few things that they had to move to, uh, to get to the surgery. But uh, he said he's been doing every day. He's getting better and better. So he'll be, uh, he'll be at 100% in no time. Would we classify this as a work-related injury? Is it the, the rigors of being a front man that, that, that threw that disc out of whack? Or was it something else? I think he's had that for quite a while. Mm. I think he's had back problems for a while. I think most people that have back problems are um, something that's genetic or... Yeah, you know, that disc is worn down to... It might be a genetic thing. Um, so many people, after that came out, we had to cancel the tour. I mean, so many people came out to me and said, oh, I've had the same thing. And well, it's really... Uh, back Back is not... It's not, it's not pleasant. <laughs> No, very mysterious, too. They don't always, you, you don't always know what's going on. But man, I still look forward to uh, revisiting that and um, rescheduling the tour because the rehearsals were sounding so incredible. So you were going to go out and, and do the acoustic thing in these intimate theater gigs, right? 
Yes. Yeah, and we're going to have a few extra players as well. So um, just to hit all the different guitar overdubs and extra vocals and keyboards and strings and everything else um, for not only uh, the songs off this record, but quite a few other catalog songs that we've never really been able to to play live. And the idea is to reschedule those dates uh, for sometime in the future. Yes, absolutely. So you, you do have a tour coming up. I think. <laughs> so let's linger here for a second. It's a little bit of a concern right now for anybody anywhere. We're talking about the coronavirus, but for a, a rock band on tour, a, a different kind of concern. Well, I think um, <clears throat> it's always tough doing so much traveling. I've gotten really ill on the past two tours we've done. We've done in one of South America. I think we were on 10 planes in 12 days. Yeah, everybody got a little <laughs> little ill in South America, yeah. but that's probably food-related. Right, and then the, the heat wave of uh, last summer in Europe, uh, they weren't, definitely weren't prepared for that. And having, having the flu through that, and uh, yeah, it's a concern. I think um, as, as we get older, it's, it's definitely a concern. It's a concern to keep ourselves as healthy as possible. But when you're in public places and you're traveling and you're doing all that, I, this this Australian thing coming up is going to be, you know, flying on days of shows. And yeah. ideally, you'd like to have a day off on the day you're traveling. But uh, it's uh, unfortunately isn't working out that way. So you just do the best you can to stay healthy. I don't really know. Uh, is the is the coronavirus uh, hype? Is it is it real? Is it? As bad as they say it is, is it spreading? I mean, I mean, places are shutting down, now, so we don't really have any control over what may happen. So just got to kind of hang in there and see what's going to happen. Got to be careful, and, and we, we now have to make hand sanitizer our drug of choice. Yes, and uh, high five with your feet. Yes. Okay, I hadn't <laughs> thought of that, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> So um, I do want to go back to something I was saying earlier. When, when I got the album in January, I was taking a few notes as I was listening, and I really did write down Jethro fucking Tull, and I bet you know which song I'm talking about. Which one now? I didn't know the time. And um, I don't know if that was by accident or... It's hard to hear flute in the context of a, a rock album and not think tall. That's I think right. that's all I mean. Well, he did it well. I think the flute was just a, um, you know, a decision I had for, for someone to come in and uh, play on um, some songs. And, and, you know, it sounded so good. It's like, well, let's try it on this song, too. <laughs> I mean, that's how, you know, a good player of a, of a different instrument is, uh, is pretty infectious. I wrote a song called Years, and I really enjoy Paul Desmond as a sax player, and I really wrote that outro of Years for someone to, uh, his name's Chris Speed. Uh, Chris uh, did a beautiful solo on the end of that uh, saxophone. ¶¶ 
Yeah, you mentioned there is a jazzy feel to some of this, and, and it does have a, a stretched out, relaxed quality to it. It it reminds me of, of that 70s jazz rock fusion thing that kind of went away for a minute. It did, but we, we all Hopefully appreciate it. Hopefully it all comes back because it was great. <laughs> we, all, we all appreciate it, and, uh, you know, it's part of what we grew up on. Back in the 70s, that's when you know you're real friends because when you put on a uh, General Giant <laughs> record, half the room will leave, and the half that stays there, those are your true friends. I was funny because I just I have a friend who uh, is in his 30s, and uh, like, have you ever heard this record? He's like, no. Have you ever heard of this record? No. So we we drove around in my car. We went old school. Drove around in my car, and I just cranked up uh, some 70s fusion for him. And he was like, man, I never knew. So it was just passing on that, uh, trying to keep it alive. Fellas, we talked a little bit about the, the decision to, to keep going. What do you want to do? What's next? You've done this acoustic album when you're thinking about what you want to accomplish next. More records, more touring. Since we did this record, that was uh, a different flavor from some of the stuff previously. I don't know. It's, it's, I'm curious to see how the next record's going to sound, if it's going to be the loudest thing we've ever done or if it's going to be a mixture of uh, the last couple records, if it's going to be a whole new direction. Don't really know yet. And Robert, if you had to guess? You know, um, be happy. Huh. <laughs> be happy and um, enjoy life. And um, I think music will follow after that. I think life is the greatest uh, you know, thing to write about. And um, who knows what life is going to be uh, in months or years or you just never know. I think that's what's going to really dictate uh, what's going to be next musically. Well, Robert, Eric, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, right. Joe. Yeah, thank it was you, a Joe. pleasure, man. Thank you. Inside the Studio is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! 
I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.